Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about the many illusions of the Chinese language. The Chinese language is, let's face it, not easy to learn as a foreign language. I happen to know a number of foreign correspondents in Taiwan, many of whom were formerly foreign correspondents in China. I know many of them because sometimes I am one of them. I occasionally freelance as a journalist, and the truth is. With the exception of some, not all, with Chinese or Taiwanese backgrounds, most foreign journalists in China and Taiwan cannot speak and read the language fluently. Some can barely say hello or goodbye in Mandarin, and are entirely illiterate. They rely on local news assistants to translate for them, and basically tell them everything they need to know. Some others make a heroic effort in studying the language. I admire such effort, but the truth is that even when they try very hard, it is difficult for foreigners to learn Chinese sufficiently well as to understand generally everything that is said around them. And by generally everything that is said around them, I mean when folks aren't deliberately dumbing down their sentences. For the sake of the foreigner, I say this because Chinese, among the languages of the world, has an unusually strong tendency to make references to the ancient past, to events that transpired millennia ago, and expressions that trace back to texts published centuries earlier. One form. Of this phenomenon is the Chengyu, or fixed expressions. A fixed expression is a phrase, typically consisting of four characters, that expresses a particular sentiment or idea, which was first written down centuries earlier, but which the Chinese have decided is the best possible way of saying it. So even today, if you want to express that particular idea, then you should simply say the corresponding phrase. For a foreigner learning Chinese, a fixed expression that they haven't learned yet sticks out in conversation like an incomprehensible sore thumb. Its diction is ancient, and its grammar is classical. Of course, that's the case. The expression may well be two and a half thousand years old. We actually have such things in English as well. We might say, for example, "in vino veritas," to express the idea that people tend to tell the truth when they're drunk. But of course, "in vino veritas" isn't English; it's Latin, the dead language of the Romans. In wine is truth. For a non-Western person, just learning English and not familiar with other European languages, if they should encounter this Latin phrase in the middle of a conversation or paragraph in English, 
they would naturally feel confused. That's more or less how a foreign learner of Chinese feels upon encountering a Chengyu. The problem is there are many, many Chengyu in Chinese, and people use them all the time. But today, I want to focus on a second phenomenon that makes Chinese difficult for outsiders: the way we casually refer to events from ancient history and sections of old books, like you should just know them. A few weeks ago, when the Russian invasion of Ukraine had just begun, I happened to discuss the war with a friend of mine who works as a judge in Taiwan. He wondered whether NATO and particularly the U.S. would send troops to assist Ukraine. I opined that this was very unlikely. At this point, he said, "Maybe you're right, but I wouldn't mind seeing a Lord Singling rescues Zhao kind of situation." We've actually told that story on this podcast before. Lord Singling. Rescues the kingdom of Zhao, but just as a quick reminder, in case you don't remember, the story takes place during the Warring States era, when China was divided into seven major kingdoms vying for supremacy. In 262 BC, the emerging superpower, the Kingdom of Qing, attacked its neighbor, the Kingdom of Zhao. After two years of fighting in 260 BC, the Qing decisively defeated the Zhao at the Battle of Changping. Afterward, the Qing army marched into Zhao territory and laid siege to the Zhao capital, the city of Handan. The Zhao, having lost almost its entire army at Changping, was nearly defenseless. Its only hope was that its ally. The kingdom of Wei would come to its rescue. The king of Wei, however, was scared of the superpower, the Qing. Although he sent his army to the outskirts of Handan, the king of Wei decided ultimately not to intervene. So he ordered his troops to stand by and watch as the Qing army attacked Handan. At this point, his younger brother, Lord Singling, decided to take matters into his own hands. He rode up to meet the army encamped outside Handan. He told the generals there falsely that the king, his brother, had authorized him to take command. Then he led the army of the way into battle, successfully lifting the siege, and thereby. Preserving the existence of the kingdom of Zhao. Now, consider how long it took me just to tell you a very abbreviated version of that story. Well, as far as my friend was concerned, and as far as all educated Chinese and Taiwanese are concerned, you're just supposed to know that story from the third century BC. You should know it enough, at least, that if someone. Casually refers to it in conversation. You should know what they're talking about. More recently, I came across a political campaign poster for a candidate 
in the upcoming elections in Taiwan. The candidate is a lawyer by profession, and the poster named the law firm of which she is the managing partner. The name of the firm struck me as curious, even as I recognized where it came from. The name is Beiming Youyu. Literally, there is a fish in the North Sea. Think about that. The there is a fish in the North Sea law firm. But it's actually a reference to a section from Zhuangzi, that foundational text of Taoist philosophy. We actually talked about Zhuangzi very recently, but not about this specific passage. The passage reads, as I translate it, "In the North Sea, there is a fish whose name is Quin. How big is Quin? Thousands of miles across." It transforms into a bird known as a condor. The body of the condor stretches also for thousands of miles. And the story goes on: a strange fable whose meaning is perhaps a little obscure. Why is this law firm named after a phrase from this fable in Zhuangzi? I still can't say. It is also a little obscure. But I do recognize where it comes from, as all educated Chinese and Taiwanese would. One final example of the Chinese tendency to refer to ancient texts in daily speech. Just the other day, I saw on Twitter one user talking about how liberating it felt to block or to mute some argumentative user who kept wanting to provoke a Twitter fight. In so doing, he quoted Confucius, "Dao bu tong bu xiang wei mo." Those not going the same way ought not to make their travel plans together. It's a common and universally understood aphorism in Chinese, meaning that people who fundamentally disagree should simply not associate with each other. And it comes from a chapter on Lord Weiling. In the Analects of Confucius. In response, another Twitter user, presumably not someone he meant to block, mentioned another section of Zhuangzi. Jinghua 不可以与于海，夏虫不可以与于冰。One does not discuss the ocean with a frog at the bottom of a well. One does not speak of ice. With an insect of the summer. Well, does one speak of ancient Chinese texts and their famous quotations with a foreigner? I like to think so. If no one explains these allusions to foreigners trying to learn Chinese, then they'll never really understand what we're going on about. And I don't like that. I don't like people not being able to understand each other because of the barriers of language. And culture, and I guess that's why I'm telling you about all this today. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.